man. What's in the bag? Ah, sixer. What's in the bag? I don't know what's in the bag. Jazz, bongo drums, huge bag of weed. Would you mind letting me have a look at the contents of your bag? Top secret. Black bag. What's in the bag? Hey, what's in the bag? Your blow off doll? It's not a game, man. What's in the bag? You want to see what's in my bag? Welcome back to another episode of the Venice Photo Club, What's in Your Bag. Today we have Reese Hopper. He's a copywriter and producer here in LA. He's worked with some huge brands. And Reese, thank you for coming out today. It's awesome to be here, Kurt. It's great to have you. Can I describe the clubhouse to people listening on audio who haven't been to the clubhouse? Yeah, absolutely. So imagine you're 11 years old again and <laughs> you... <laughs> Wish that you could find a place that was away from all things that were frightening to you and were just was just a really relaxing, cool, quiet, creative space. That's exactly what this is. It's like as if like your all your dreams came to reality. It's <laughs> yeah. a cool leather couch. There's photos all over. There's a mural on the barn doors closing thing. There's coffee. There's beer. Well, maybe that's not for the 11 year old, but you know, I, that's what makes you a great marketer. You know? And of course, zines. It's, it's, a, it's a dirty garage that we just described with <laughs> sugar coating. <laughs> True, bro. That's what it's all about. There's magic in everything. Well, let's get right into it. Hit me. What kind of bag do you use? Okay. I got a backpack. It's by uh, Electric Co. You know that company? They're like a skate snowboard brand. Oh yeah. I think I had some sunglasses. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they, I have a brown bag by them that I got the summer before I went to college in 2012. So it's almost a decade old, which is pretty exciting because somehow in my life, I always had just bags that would just tear and rip and they weren't very good. But this one like has lasted for almost 10 years, which is awesome. It's not a camera bag. There's no camera in it, uh, but it's a bag and I use it every day. It's been around the world with me. It's got a cool little secret pocket in it where I keep important documents Ooh. and mementos, flash drives, etc. It's got it all. Yeah. You, you already answered the next question was how long you had this bag. Oh, yeah. About a decade. Uh-huh. And then what is your favorite detail about this bag? Secret pocket is up there. Um, it's like a dark brown. It's not leather. It's like a canvas kind of material, but it's like a dark brown, which is great because... I haven't washed it once and it still looks pretty clean. <laughs> you can only imagine how dirty it is by now, right? <laughs> I'm starting to imagine it at this moment and it's kind of freaking me out. But yeah, it's great. Because even like black things, we're used to seeing black uh, like fabric. And when it gets dirty and faded, you can kind of tell. Even though you can't really tell if you know what a dirty or faded version of that looks like. But since there's not a whole lot of brown, like fabric materials out there i don't think people realize how dirty it is <laughs> neither do i <laughs> what camera is in the bag we already answered that question too well <laughs> hypothetically there's a webcam on my laptop <laughs> there you go <laughs> so that's my camera there's your camera <laughs> yeah the 480p how long have you had this camera how long have you had your laptop i got this laptop in um after i graduated college in 2016 i needed a new laptop and uh, I had kind of realized that like, okay, I probably didn't need like a MacBook Pro because I, I wasn't really going to like push it into the next level of functionality, you know? So I just got the regular MacBook and it was like the 2016 MacBook. I got it as a, as a Best Buy open box deal, which uh, means it was uh, like 
cheaper because somebody opened it and then returned it and then they couldn't like actually sell it for full price so got it as that and yeah had it since then so it's been trusty for me what do you like most about this camera what do you like most about your webcam oh about the webcam specifically you know i'm not actually a huge fan of video calls (laughs) (laughs) because like i'm the kind of person who like i like to get on phone calls and like walk around you know and uh i feel like most people are like that i don't know video calls i think are just uh they're a construct of 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 uh upper management they want to make sure that you're sitting at your seat and not roaming the world you know but in our industry a lot of people do roam the world so no need to get on uh no need to get on a, on a webcam so i don't actually like using it that much um but yeah i mean the laptop obviously is like a great tool for making videos up to the point of actually shooting them <laughs> never actually shot a video on the on the laptop but like as a producer obviously emails like outrageously important indispensable um and then even like as i've gotten on to bigger commercial campaigns and stuff planning out videos with like shot lists and storyboards and other documents etc um that laptop has just been like a great tool to do that with so um yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny because it's like I'm pretty involved in the process of making videos, especially on that laptop, but not actually shooting them <laughs> at all, you know, the video making in essence, but not in practice. Would you ever sell your laptop, this camera? I don't know. I don't think MacBooks really hold their value that much. <laughs> Maybe I'd get a, a few hundred bucks from it if I wanted to upgrade, but no reason for me to really upgrade. Like I am really glad that I got the regular MacBook and not the MacBook Pro because this one is so light. Like it's like less than two pounds or, or just over two pounds or something like that. Really tiny. And since I've like traveled around the world on video shoots with it, uh, different, different projects and stuff, I realized like, okay, I don't really need like a MacBook Pro. I don't need anything heavier. I don't need to bring a bunch of big gear. Um, so I don't know, like upgrading to me, like kind of would be redundant. Like literally all I need is like something that can handle keynote, <laughs> you know, as long as it's fast enough to handle keynote, then we're good. <laughs> Locked. Yeah. What is your favorite thing to shoot with this laptop or do with the laptop? Yeah. Writing. Writing is exciting. I do a lot of writing. I have a personal blog that I keep. Actually, it's not that personal, uh, but it's on my personal website. But it's a daily blog. I publish daily. I've been publishing daily for like almost 400 days straight. And it's a blog for creators, digital creators, marketers, people who who like productivity, productive people. Yeah, I write about productivity and marketing and, um, you know, stuff like that. Production, creativity, generally, stuff like that. And um, yeah, I love love writing. Writing is exciting to me. It's... it's probably relatable to photographers in the sense that like when I write, I feel like I'm creating something out of thin air. Like I'm creating something out of nothing. You know, that's probably the magic that photographers feel in the sense that like they just walked up to something and saw it in a way that maybe no one has ever seen it before and captured that split second, you know, and created something ostensibly out of nothing, you know? So that's, what's really cool about it to me. Um, and I think that through the course of, of my career, obviously the laptop has taken on, has led me to a bunch of opportunities through social media management and copywriting and producing and, you know, different kinds of things. But it all comes down to like writing and typing, you know, producing is writing in the sense that 
sending emails and communicating and negotiating deals for projects is a form of writing, you know, copywriting is writing in the sense that like, you know, conveying new ideas and trying to explain concepts to people to be helpful to them is writing, you know? So it's all kind of comes back to, to the keyboard there, you know? Um, but it's just cool that I've always been a creative person, but I never really had a knack or the opportunity to learn. Um, I shouldn't say I haven't had the opportunity, but I haven't really learned photography or videography proper. I understand, um, how it works and I understand how to make creative decisions with it. Um, but I haven't really like done it to a strong degree on my own or really dug into like how to, how to do it in a, in a proper technical way. But, uh, to still be involved in, to be still be very involved in creating videos and photos for commercial campaigns and that sort of thing is, is really exciting. I don't know. Like if, if, if I could talk to myself at 12 right now and a 12 year old me asked, asked me like, what do you do? Like, Oh, I'm talking about working on a laptop. That probably wouldn't be t- too inspiring or exciting to that 12 year old. Like, Oh, you're not making movies or you're not making music or you're not X, Y, or Z, you know, you're not a rock star, <laughs> but uh, just the process of, of creating something out of nothing is like, I could do that forever. You know, that's the most like exhilarating thing to me. So now what else is in your bag? You gotta go do everything. I got a sweatshirt in there right now. I got a couple notebooks that I keep. I keep a just like a regular uh, composition style notebook for all things that I need pen and paper for. I, I kept one every year for the past like eight years. So now I have like a little bit of like a a library. And those notebooks are funny to me because. I do have other specific notebooks that I try to be really poetic about. I try to be really meaningful about them. You know, like I just write about a specific topic. I just write about my emotions or I just write about things I'm processing in the past. You know, I just writing about, you know, girls or like dating, or I'm just writing about like faith, you know, or something like that. But these notebooks that I've kept every year, they've just been a, like a combination of anything that's going on. It's like when I was in college, it's like, schedules and homework and class notes and song lyrics and you know all back-to-back uh budgets for the month and that kind of thing so i think it's interesting because like this little notebook that i keep each year really is a better picture of my life than anything i could try to write or convey about my life you know in a poetic way you know like if i had a kid or somebody or somebody really wanted to know like what i was doing over the course of years all they all they would need to do would be find these notebooks and just read through them and they'd probably give a clearer picture than I could convey on my own. So that's one of the favorite things I keep in there. Generally I'll, I'll always have in addition a, uh, some sort of like self-development type book. Uh, cause I'm a huge nerd for that stuff. I write about that stuff all the time on my blog, but yeah, it's always good to have a book like that as a companion wherever I go because I spend so much time staring at screens and of course there's endless amounts of reading to be done on the internet, but it's really nice to like disconnect from a screen and disconnect from a computer and just read something that somebody has written. Uh, it's a re- like a relaxing, inspiring thing for me to do. So I usually keep one of those in my backpack. Uh, most of my reading is done in the morning. It's very rare that I'll like actually... <laughs> pull that book out of my bag like throughout the course of the day you know while I'm just like hanging out and read something uh I think that's just because my mind frame isn't really conducive to reading 
later on in the day. Uh, I'm better at doing it in the morning, but I carry the book around mostly just to flex on people (laughs) (laughs) that like, Oh yeah, I have some, I have some literature in my bag, you know? (laughs) Yeah. What's the current one? Uh, Current one is called tiny habits by BJ Fogg. I've been doing a lot of reading about habits recently. A few other books, atomic habits by James clear, the power of habit by Charles Duhigg. I think his name is, or James Duhigg, Charles Duhigg, I think. <laughs> and then another one, Angela Duckworth called grit. I'm, I'm interested in the, in the process of habit development, especially as it relates to consistent creativity and consistent creation. Earlier on in my life, I definitely was the kind of person who had creative dreams, but not necessarily the like commitment to turn those dreams into like a reality, you know? And, uh, I had a lot of ideas and things that I wanted to accomplish when I was younger, but I never really could stick with things long enough to see those things, you know, become a reality. And then over the past few years, I've really been digging into my own personal psychology of like, why am I unable to stick with a creative discipline for long enough to make a dent in what I'm trying to accomplish? And, um, you know, finding and creating creative habits and overcoming these like creative mental blocks is really, is really what has helped, has helped me achieve consistent creativity. And now, you know, like I've published almost 400 days in a row on my, on my blog now and had done other, um, sprints of, of publishing on my blog of 60 days and, and a hundred days and, and 30 days before that. Um, so yeah, the, the idea of habit building, especially as it relates to creativity is fascinating to me. Um, it's something that I feel like I want to talk about more with like any creator that I know in any discipline, because I think it's such a relatable thing that, that many, many people struggle with. You know, there are the, the anomalies of people that we know who never struggle with that and, <laughs> you know, have been creating things every day and publishing amazing work since they were 11 years old. But I think for a majority of us, we feel like we have these cool ideas, but life gets in the way. So that's why I've been reading a lot about habits recently is I want to understand the psychological process of habit building to create better habits for myself and like help other people create good habits in their own creative lives. So you got the sweatshirt. You yeah. The book. Mm-hmm. You've got the notebook. The notebooks. Mm-hmm. What else you got in your bag? I got pens. I got a lot of pens. I got, uh, you know, laptop charger, phone charger, battery. Uh, let me, let me check and see what else I got in here. I got to know. I can't be leaving anything out. Can't leave anything out. <laughs> I got these pins on the outside that I've collected over the years. Blue bottle. Blue bottle pin. In and out pin. This pin that says coffee is my only real friend. <laughs> I have one that just has a, a pink donut on it. And then one that is like kind of like a day of the dead skull, but it's a San Francisco Giants day of the dead skull. He's wearing a Giants hat. Is that new? Uh, yeah, I got that in, in May when I went to the Ooh. to San Francisco to the stadium well here's a camera in my bag this is an iphone 6s (laughs) this is my old phone that i had for a few years now i keep it to keep instagram on this phone ah so i keep instagram off my normal phone separation of church and state that's right and then i put it on this second device this is my old device and it's just helpful to keep myself from being distracted (laughs) by it you know having it be on another physical thing it's more of a it's more of a gap in between like, oh, I'm going to check my email 
And then, oh, I'm on Instagram for 20 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Doom scrolling. I got a mask. I have a lighter in here for emergencies. Emergencies. I have deodorant. Deodorant. Very important. Yeah. Work is stressful. Mm-hmm. As, as, as often as, or as, as little as I'm doing, and as often as I'm just sitting <laughs> in front of my computer and typing, I find myself getting sweaty and stressed out. So I think that's why I bring the deodorant too. Oh, I have a GQ magazine in here. Say what you will about GQ. And I'll say it for everyone else. It is sort of somewhat embarrassing to like read like a magazine like that in public. It just seems a little vapid, you know? <laughs> uh, they have some amazing articles in oh, there. Yeah. Really, really well-written stuff. <laughs> so... Mm. You know, kind of embarrassing, but also at the same time, cool. I'm a fan of fashion. I'm not an outrageously fashionable individual anymore. Um, I try to, you know, wear nice things sometimes, but I like reading about it. Um, So is that everything in your bag? I think so. I'm digging around with one hand here, Mike, and the other hand. Oh, I've got a poetry book here. Poetry. Yeah. This is uh, from a poet under the alias of January Black. And I will out him at the moment. His name is Cole Schaefer. Cole Schaefer. He runs a copywriting website called Honey Copy. It's honeycopy.com. And I love it. It's so good. Uh, he does like copywriting tips and also talks a lot about like advertising, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, he's got like just awesome newsletters and great poetry and good copywriting type stuff. So got that in there. I have a crossword book. I don't do crosswords. My wife does crosswords and she ordered this crossword book, but it was too small. Like it's like a miniature version. (laughs) You see how small the crosswords are. They take up like, they're like three inches by three inches. You have to write with like a tiny, tiny pencil. Like a G205. Yeah. And she's like such a trivia head. Oh yeah. And like a fax person. And I haven't really taken a crack at, (laughs) at uh, crosswords before. Then she got this one and I was like, she's like, oh, it's too small. And I was like, oh, I'll keep it around. So then last week I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try one. I couldn't get any of them. <laughs> like, I don't know any of these things. Yeah. And they're like seemingly simple clues. And I'm like, I have no idea. And yeah. this is the Monday crosswords. Like these are supposed to be the easiest puzzles. Yeah. It literally says easy puzzles on the front and I couldn't do one. So this is not a normal thing. I'm probably going to ditch this or yeah. give it to somebody. I don't know. But yeah, upcycle that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I got that in the bag. Um, oh, I've got a little like day planner thing that I keep. This is a, this is sort of a, it's sort of like a glorified checklist. It's split into a number of different sections, including, but, but not limited to morning ritual stuff, a list of what I was successful at yesterday, a list of things I can improve on yesterday a health plan and an education plan for the day, the big three things that I want to accomplish, a list of like just random tasks and appointments and stuff, uh, long-term projects to keep in mind, what I get to do today, other things that I could, you know, get to enjoy doing, and then an evening ritual um, checklist as well. So this is sort of a, a checklist that I've adopted recently. I posted about it on my, on my blog, um, but this was like mostly taken and adapted from something that my uncle had sent me. He's a dentist who has his own practice. So he's him and I are kind of a lot alike, not because I'm smart enough to be a dentist. That's <laughs> definitely not true, but because we both like productivity and, and that kind of thing. But he sent this over to me and I like it a lot because 
when I've used other to-do lists and checklists and like um, day planner, they don't seem as holistic as this. They're either like really focused on like only doing big things or they're like really focused on like a bunch of tasks or they're only focused on like long-term projects. Uh, and this one is focused on everything. It helps me have like more holistic days. So I'm making sure that I'm doing my morning and evening rituals and making sure that I'm, I'm, a, I'm at least keeping my long-term projects in mind, you know, while also tackling the big three things that I need to do that day, other tasks and appointments and, um, you know, taking care of my health and education, et cetera. So it's a cool little uh, day planner. Yeah, so that's another thing I got in the bag. Uh, here's something I keep in my bag often. 32-ounce plastic Nalgene water bottle. You know, you, you had that forever. Yeah, I've had this forever. I know. <laughs> this one I've had for, yeah, just about two years now. Mm. Uh, and it's great. I try to drink a gallon of water a day because if I don't, I get really stressed out. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've always kind of been like big on hydration and stuff. Um, so if I just keep this next to me, next to my desk, uh, and I drink four from through the course of a day, then that's a gallon. I'm a, I'm a big fan of having a water bottle around because I can really tell like when I'm feeling dehydrated, like I'm making worse decisions and I'm feeling more stressed out than when I am hydrated. And it seems unfair because it's like, man, why should I have to like worry about carrying this thing around or why should I, da, 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 you know, but then one day I realized like the only, like the main person who's suffering from my dehydration is me. Mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> mostly the the main person who's suffering is me sometimes other people i'm around when i'm feeling <laughs> stressed or whatever but then i was like i can i can control this like i can be in charge of this so i even bring this like into like restaurants or it's like sometimes nice restaurants because it's like they'll serve you like a tiny glass of water with a bunch of ice in it and it's like freezing cold and it's not hydrating you and then they just don't come around for 20 minutes and you're thirsty it's like no i gotta have my water bottle around to stay hydrated because whether or not I'm having a good time kind of depends on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that's it. Cover everything. Mm hmm. So what is your, what's your favorite non laptop piece of equipment in your bag? Equipment. The notebook I think is, is good. That's helpful for me too. Like even when I'm on the phone taking notes, I like to write things down, you know, with a pen and a, and a, and a piece of paper. Uh, so I think that's my favorite sort of non, non laptop piece of equipment. What is the bag missing? Good question. Uh, snacks. <laughs> 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 I guess because I'm not like a gearhead. You know, I'm sure you ask a photographer, and they're like, "Oh, I want this. I want that. I want this." Um, nothing really. Maybe some really nice pens. Snacks is a good answer, though. Yeah, pens. snacks. Yeah, snacks. You already answered the next question. Do you travel this bag? We've had it for a decade. Travel the world. Yeah. Ran a photo video workshop with a friend, our friends, uh, Jeremiah Davis and Jacob Riglin. We did uh, three of those in Bali, one of them in Iceland, and one of them in um, Central California and Yosemite. So I took that around there. Uh, different projects in uh, Croatia, Canada. Um I feel like I'm going to leave something out and remember it later, but yeah, those are kind of the big ones there around the States as well. New York, Boston. So the electric bag is sturdy. Yeah. Puerto Rico. Took it to Puerto Rico. Yeah. So when you shoot for yourself, 
This is for cameras again. Um, what camera are you shooting with and what subject are you shooting? So in this case, when you are working with your laptop for yourself, yeah, what are you doing with it? Yeah. So I've, I've kind of turned my, <clears throat> my uh, creator slash productivity blog into a, we'll call that, we'll, I, I, I label it work for myself, you know? Uh, so we won't talk about that. We'll talk about the other stuff. Sometimes I just get in like these, like this really like poetic mindset. Sometimes I'll write like poetry, uh, not like strict poetry in the sense of like uh, rhymes and stanzas and that kind of thing, but more of like a, like an essay about a specific moment, you know, a, a, a word picture about a, a certain feeling or a certain moment. Um, I like doing that. That doesn't happen too often for me. I think because I keep such a rigid schedule, but sometimes when I have a little bit of extra time and traveling around or experience something, it just kind of hits me. Uh, and I just kind of need to like, just start typing these like things like that. Recently also I've been writing, I guess what I would call like cultural essays, <laughs> almost like, uh, observations about the state of our culture, not about like politics or anything like that, but more just like what is it like to be alive now? What are things that many of us are experiencing? So I launched a newsletter recently to write about that stuff because I have that productivity creator blog and um, it's not really a good place for that kind of stuff on there. So I kind of have a newsletter for people who want to know what I really think. The newsletter is called What I Really Think. <laughs> uh, and I let them know what I really think through these like cultural essays sort of things. So I wrote one, how about I think the Olympics kind of suck. Uh just as like a objective uh, sports viewing experience compared to like other sports. Uh, I wrote one about uh, the power of fashion. I wrote one about how I think being told what to read while we're growing up in school has stolen the love of education for many people. So that's sort of like the topics there. They're kind of like big hot topics and I just go for them, you know? So what is your st favorite style of photography or let's put it this way. Let's what's your favorite style of writing. And in here is portrait landscape street lifestyle documentary. But in terms of writing, I mentioned earlier, like those GQ articles that I like reading that I think are really well written. I think those are interesting because they like dive into the like slice of life experience of somebody. And sometimes they can be, they can be a little bit vapid because it's about, you know, some movie star that is not, exactly connected to the reality that most of us experience but um they also have like a lot of other stories just about like normal-ish people who are like <clears throat> i don't know living life and trying to achieve creativity and success and those kind of things so i really like reading those sort of interview stories you know because it's like one part interview one part like stage slash scene setting of like why is you know what's going on culturally around this moment and how does this fit into there you know and then also part of this is just sort of like describing what that person is like so i really like yeah reading that kind of stuff it's cool to me C cultural essay kind of thing i am interested in in the experiences of people especially as the decades progress you know in this century there's been so much change over the past few decades and obviously like being born when we were, you know, in the early nineties is like 
we sort of had the final glimpse of a world that will be totally incomprehensible to future generations, I think. And it's not like, you know, I would say people maybe born in the, in the sixties or the seventies could really claim what I'm saying here, you know, of like, Oh, I had a, a certain kind of childhood and then technology really came and changed everything. Um, and that's definitely true for people born in, in that era. Um, but for when we're born, you know, when we were born in the, in the early nineties, it's like we saw CDs become a thing and like, we saw email become a thing. You know, I remember talking to my dad. I saw my dad send an email one time when I was probably four. <laughs> and uh, I was like, Dad, what is that? I was like, oh, it's an email. It's like, a, you know, he's trying to explain the internet to me and he, he couldn't do it very well. And I can't explain the internet to people now. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is. But it's just, it's just fascinating. Like the time that we're living in and the way things are progressing culturally really is fascinating. So I want to try to like, document these little slices of life not because i feel like they're going to be seminal or monumental to anybody in any way but maybe a few people will read them later on and gain some perspective about how things used to be you know i barely have a perspective of how things used to be you know but i have a little bit of it you know <laughs> there's a series of questions that we're gonna have to extrapolate Great. You're going to help me extrapolate. We've been doing that all, all day. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could only use one camera for the rest of your life, what would it be? Yeah. If I could only sort of write with one angle forever, I think I would write kind of self-development type stuff. Because that stuff has been so helpful to me. And it's so like instantly practical. You know, if you're worried about how to try to negotiate a raise with your boss. Like you can go online and read that sort of stuff and like actually learn something that could affect the course of your life to some degree. You know what I mean? So uh, I think that's just so fascinating, you know, and with other types of writing, creative writing or, or, you know, writing fiction or even like the cultural poetry or cultural essays that I was describing earlier, Yes, I think those can have more of an artistic impact. Um, but I think if I only had to write one thing, I would pick self-development kind of things and professional development just because I would feel like at the end of the day, if a few people read it, maybe it helped them achieve a better life, at least to some small degree, you know? And I think that would be like enough. And then what is your favorite lens? So... In this case, my favorite lens to perceive the world. In. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lens that I've been uh, trying to see more things in recently is the lens of moderation. Hmm. Especially in the cultural slash political climate that we're in. There's no advantage to like... I don't really want to talk about politics, but <laughs> there's no advantage for politicians to, to be moderate because all the noise is on the edges, you know, all the loud things, everything that gets noticed is on either end of, of the edges. And there are so many people who see things in the middle. There's so many people who see both sides. There's so many people who are considering both sides, trying to figure out, what the right thing is to do for them and for their community and for their families. And 
a majority of them do not sit on on either side of the spectrum that people are shouting about. And uh, there is an advantage to shouting on on either either side of of the political political or cultural spectrum, but it's it's not reality. I think a majority of us live somewhere kind of in the middle. So anyways, I've been trying to see things more through a lens of moderation, which is probably why my blog doesn't have as much traffic as I would like is <laughs> because nobody shouts about moderation. You know, there's no real way to make a splash when you're talking about moderation. There's no way to like really get people riled up or fired up. There's, there's no like, there's no virality in moderation. <laughs> But it's moderation is is closer to reality from for most of us, I think, you know, so I've been trying to see more things through that lens recently because I just think it's more responsible. I think it's a more responsible way for me to use my brain and for me to use my keyboard. You know, it's really easy to get fired up about one little thing way on one end of of the spectrum of something of anything. But the more I can consider, like, how does this help me achieve moderation? How do I find balance within this um, thing here? I think that's a better way of going about things. I think it's a better lens to have. What is your dream camera? Mm, my dream lens? <laughs> Seeing the world from a yacht? No. <laughs> I just destroyed the whole point I just made. <laughs> No, that was a joke. <laughs> my dream camera. <laughs> Your dream camera. My dream camera. My dream platform, we'll say. Yes. Uh, I'd love to publish later on. I'd love to publish self-development books, you know, and really contribute to that space. Mm-hmm. When I just started my career, I was freelance managing social media accounts for different brands and businesses, and I didn't have a clue about what I was doing. Uh, and to make matters worse, I really thought that I was really smart and brilliant and I had it all figured out. And so after about a year of uh, clients constantly dropping me and uh, making a lot less money than I should and constantly feeling stressed out and not knowing how to balance my life and my hobbies and my work, etc., I decided that I needed a little bit of help. <laughs> I decided that it might be a good idea to learn something. and uh, But I was broke and I didn't know anything. And at that moment, I remembered that the library existed. And that was like one of those moments where, I mean, there have been a lot of moments over the past decade in which maybe you sort of lose faith in uh, the fabric of American culture. But when I remembered that the library existed, I was like, wow. This is a wonderful, amazing thing. I can't believe this is this is real, you know? I uh, waltzed on over to the library. I got a library card for free, and I checked out Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. I started reading that, and that just changed my whole perspective on, like, what time management could look like, what my personal business management could look like. And uh, say what you will about the four-hour work week and its sort of idyllic view on, on, on how things are. It was really inspiring to me. And it was a great first self-development book for me to read. Um, so, so then I got way more into those sort of books. And uh, they changed my life. Genuinely changed my life. You know, And that's sort of what I was talking about earlier. It's like if I could only write one thing, I would write about that stuff because I feel like it would have an impact on people's lives. So yeah, like I'd love to publish books in that space, especially for creators, especially for, for like young creators trying to achieve consistent creativity, et cetera. Uh, Cause I feel like it could have a profound impact on their lives in some way. So that's sort of like my ideal 
you know, <clears throat> ideal direction I'd like things to go, uh, maintain the blog and, you know, maybe once I do that, get my, get my vocal cords warmed up a bit and record my own podcast. But for now, we're just keeping things simple and, um, learning things one day at a time. And I'd love, I'd love to, to get there, you know, someday keep writing and working. So what has been your favorite place to photograph? <clears throat> so I guess in this sense, yeah. Favorite place to write. Favorite place to write. Favorite thing to write about, <laughs> I guess. I mean, LA has been endlessly inspiring to me. I don't think uh, you need to live in a big city to make it as a creative, but it helps. <laughs> it helped me a lot, you know? I grew up in the suburbs in Fresno, and uh, I mean, f to, to, say, to put it bluntly, like it just wasn't very inspiring to me, you know, like all the houses looked the same and all the streets were on a grid and, you know, all the stoplights were a half a mile apart and everything was predictable. And then when I moved to Venice Beach, it was like culture shock for me, you know. I was scared a little bit at first <laughs> about everything, but uh, just being here in the city um seeing how different people live their lives has just been so eye-opening for me as someone who grew up in the suburbs meeting other creative people who have found a way to make money doing what they love um also eye-opening and inspiring for me being able to to work with those kinds of people um so i don't know you know maybe down the road i move somewhere else and you know i don't need to be in the city anymore but especially like over the past five years since i've been living in la uh, it's been invaluable to me, like just absolutely necessary, you know, for me to be here, to learn the things that I've learned and to meet the people that I've met, you know? So being in this sort of area has been huge for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Next question is where in LA would you like to shoot next right now? So yeah well i i am sort of in a next area of my life i lived in venice for four years on the west side and uh it was awesome because the west side the west side is a magical place i realized this after i moved out of venice the west side is a magical place precisely because traffic is horrible that's that's what makes the west side so special is you live in this bubble that like when 3 p.m hits on a weekday when 2 p.m. hits on a Friday, you're stuck out here. And if you didn't leave by 11 a.m. to go to Joshua Tree or to the mountains or whatever, like, you're here, you know? So there were countless times when I was living on the west side. I'd finish up work, like, on a Friday. It'd be 6.30. And I'd just text, you know, five or six friends who I knew lived on the west side and said, hey, I'm, I'm going home to make some pizzas. And they'd be over in an hour because I knew they weren't going anywhere. They couldn't go anywhere, you know, until it hit like 9.30 p.m. They couldn't leave the west side. And for a while, I thought that's how all traffic in L.A. was, but it's not. <laughs> it's only really like that on the west side because the 10 is brutal going out and the 405 is brutal going both ways unless you're going up into the valley, but no one's going that way. And uh, it was, so, so then recently I moved over to Echo Park. I just got married and my wife and I are living over there on the east side. And I had a friend who invited me somewhere, you know, like way out, like closer to Riverside at, to meet him over there at like six. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get over there. Cause from the West side, that would have taken three hours to do. And then I looked at the traffic. It's like, oh yeah, it'll take 50 minutes. I was like, wow, like it really isn't like that 
in other parts of LA. Like you're a little bit more free from this like pocket bubble that's over on the West side. Um, so anyways, I say that because I just have endless love for the West side and for Venice, especially. And for anyone out here who's complaining about the traffic, a, I feel ya, but B from someone who misses it so much, the traffic is sort of what makes this place really special. Like, <laughs> you know, when the night comes, your friends are, you either knew they were going out of town or they're 10 minutes away from you, you know, and it's, and it's awesome. So that's what I love about it. But what I, I really am loving living on the East side now. Um, and that's sort of like my new place that I'm quote unquote shooting or, or writing about or being in now. Um, I miss the West side a lot and it would be much worse if the East side wasn't also so cool. <laughs> I'm living right next to Dodger stadium off of sunset Boulevard. And, um, uh, there's so many cool restaurants over there. There's so much culture over there. There's people like people love it over there. You can tell there's been people living there for, you know, decades in these old houses. And it's like, they're just like, so nestled in there. <laughs> like it's just awesome. And then the baseball culture over there is like so much more lively than it is on, you know, on the West side and, and other parts of LA. And there's just so many cool, cool places over there. So uh, I really am enjoying like getting to know a new neighborhood. I used to be lost when I went to the East side, silver, silver Lake, silver park. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. You know, you can tell Los Feliz Hollywood. I couldn't, I couldn't put them on a map, you know, now I'm starting to understand the geography over there a little bit, a little bit more. And, uh, that's a really exciting, exciting corner of, of the world for me now. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the new place that I'm, that I'm in. So, and to expand on that, where in California do you want to shoot next? Ooh, I've been spending a little time uh, back in my hometown recently in Fresno. Um, and uh, I kind of trashed Fresno earlier <laughs> because it was so uninspiring to me, especially as a teenager, you know. Um, and it really was necessary for me to to get out of there. But I have a couple of friends now. I mean, it's just a different economy. It's a different world over there. You know, I have friends from high school who are buying houses, you know, <laughs> and it's like, that's not even like a consideration for like me and my friends now, you know, uh, in LA for sure. Um, so it's just a different kind of world out there. And I, you know, I have a couple of buddies who are running a, uh, creative studio out there and, um, doing a lot of work for, for sort of the ag economy, agriculture economy out there, um, doing other sort of creative work. And especially now in the in the work from home digital age, it's not weird for a hit brand to hire a creative studio out of Fresno. Cause it's like, they weren't ever going to see them in the first place anyway. So now their overhead is like half of what a creative studio is out here. And they're like grabbing those kind of clients too. So that's really interesting too now, especially like in, in the work from home era that we've, that we've hit. So, um, just interesting. I don't know if I want to move back there. A bit too early to say, of course, because um, I, I just am still loving L.A. so much. But it is an interesting thing to consider. Like, it was always a place to me that was like, there's there's no way I could go back there and work, you know. And now maybe <laughs> there is, <laughs> you know. It's funny. So to expand it even more, where in the United States do you want to shoot next? Hey, dude, I, I say to myself sometimes, I'm like, how can I be alive in this window of time that I'm alive 
which is the same time that New York City is what it is <laughs> and not live there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. It just seems so cool. I mean, I've been to New York a few times, like four or five different business trips for four or five days at a time. Nothing long, but um, it's a different world out there, you know, especially compared to here. So sometimes I say to myself, like, oh, are you really not going to, are you going to live your whole life and not live in New York? You know, it's like, it's New York, you know, it would be like, I don't know, some great city in the past, <laughs> Jerusalem or Rome or something at the peak of, of what those cities were. And you lived, you know, you could live there. You were alive when those cities were what they were and you just didn't like, I don't know. <laughs> I think about that sometimes, but New York seems cool. Seems like a lot to a lot to to bite off and chew, but who knows? Maybe a season. Maybe. Which places are you dying to photograph? Hmm. This is typically where you would like to go outside of the country. Yeah. Shoot. Totally. Uh I haven't spent much time in England. Uh and by saying that, I mean, I just had a layover there. So I don't really even count as like going there. I wouldn't put that on a list, you know? So yeah, uh, London would be cool. Japan seems pretty cool. Dubai seems awesome. Um, all of those places just seem like they're like brimming with creativity and innovation and commerce right now. So kind of, yeah, would like to check out places like that. Um, I've also found a lot of like solace in, in just going back to the same places a few times over now. Um, the travel bug caught me, especially when I was in college and early after college. But then when I had traveled a bit more, uh, this is probably sounds like outrageously privileged and entitled to say, but I'm just going to put that out there and then I'm going to keep saying it. Okay. <laughs> but as I traveled a bit more, I got kind of tired of it. You know, it's a lot of hard work and it's like, I have friends out here, you know, at home and I have like a routine and everything and, uh, to travel for so long, you know, as exhilarating as it is became really tiring for me. And I think like what became a best of both worlds scenario for me was going back to places that I had been to before. So I have a good friend who lives out in Hawaii. Um, and I've been there like a number of times now and, uh, I have genuine friends out there now. It's not just like people who let me stay there and like, Oh yeah, we had a good time. And then you never see him again. You know, it's like I've seen him every year for like six years now. And we hang out a lot and, you know, talk on, on text and on Instagram throughout the course of the year. And then I go see him. Same thing like with Bali, you've been there a few times now, uh, running those workshops that we did with Jacob and Jeremiah and like have my favorite coffee shops. And there's like a certain area there, the tourist area that I can, you know, navigate around without a map now, you know, whatever. So there is like, it's sort of the best of both worlds scenario for me to go back to places a few times again and again. Um, so yeah, that's kind of just a little thing I've been thinking about recently. So when did you get into writing? The question is when did you get into photography, but when did you get into writing? Well, I got into video creation a bit as a kid. <laughs> I could tell you about that, but uh, I don't know what inspired my dad. One day he just came home with like a, like a brand new computer and a video camera and just like 
put it on the table. I got two older brothers and we were like grade school age at that point in time. And he was like, Hey, I got this for you guys. You can make videos. We we're like, sweet. <laughs> and it was like one of those old Canon camcorders, the ZR 80 or something like that. I forget exactly the exact name, but it had those little mini, uh, yeah, DV tapes. And so you would shoot on that and then you had to plug it into your computer and like transfer it to a video file. And then those files would like always get corrupted. I don't know if I just had like a horrible computer or, or if they were like susceptible to that, but we shot so many videos doing that, dude. Mostly it was just like choreographed sword fights that we, my brother and I would have with like sticks, you know, we'd like set up one angle and like, you know, have this little like sword fight routine that we would do. And then we'd like move the tripod and like set up another angle and have like another one and then do a close up of someone like getting stabbed, like under the <laughs> arm, you know, <laughs> do that from the side angle. So, you know, that kind of thing. So we would do that all the time. That's kind of how I got into just like making random videos. Um, and yeah, that was fun for me. I, I never really, I didn't really like carry that into, um, into high school. Like I made a couple videos when I was in high school. Um, uh, but by that time I was like, I had no comprehension of like real technology at that point, you know? And then in, in college, I didn't really make any, any videos or anything. But I think when, when, when my dad set down a video camera on the table and said, go and make a video, that was like when I first started making my own creative decisions, you know, it was like, here's a camera, make something. And I didn't feel stumped by it. It was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go film this. You know, I'm going to make a, a stop motion with my Lego guys. You know, I'm going to go do like this random stuff. And it's like, even though I don't make videos now, and if you handed a Sony to me now, I wouldn't know what to do with it. That experience with the camera growing up created transferable a, it gave me a creativity that was transferable between mediums because I was making creative decisions on my own with one medium. Just because I stopped making videos doesn't mean that creative decision-making paradigm or that skill that I had learned was lost because then when I got into high school, I transferred that over to music and I started learning to play guitar and writing songs and stuff. And it didn't scare me to just like fumble around on a guitar and try to like find a note until I, thought I had a cool song, you know? And then from there, when I got into college, you know, playing more music and then, uh, started doing like social media management. So like somebody said like, Hey, can you manage this, you know, account that we have, you know, at our college for like student events. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Even though I had never done it before, I had this skill of making creative decisions that I could transfer between mediums. You know, that's something that became really clear to me uh, about a year ago was like, I have a buddy who spent his whole childhood, high school, college life, making music, recording music, singing, everything, guitar lessons, singing lessons, everything. Now he's out of that. And he, uh, he, he's like a graphic designer <laughs> and he never did graphic design or anything growing up, but he picked it up like, like that. And it's not because it's not like the, the hard skills that, that, that make it hard to like learn a, a new creative discipline. Like you can, you can learn how to do Photoshop and you can figure that stuff out. It's the creative decision-making the confidence to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here and make this creative decision. That's the, that's the soft skills. That's the stuff that's hard. That's the stuff that you can't really teach, you know, or like, or train somebody on, like they have to do that for years and years and years. 
regardless of the, the medium that they're doing it in, they have to make those creative decisions on their own, go out on those risks, you know, and do that. So I think I didn't really get into writing until maybe like 2018, but I just had to fumble around for a month or two, you know, constructing bad sentences before I really got out of my own way there because I already knew how to make creative decisions. You see what I'm saying? Like my, my writing career began when I picked up a camera <laughs> and I was in the fourth grade and said, I'm going to like make a video with my Lego guys moving them around the thing. I made an assertion, you know, I made like, I, I see this in my brain and I can make it happen. You know, that's the skill that, that I think everybody needs to learn. What was the first camera you ever used? Yeah, it was that 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 Canon that one with the tape deck, CR eighty or something. Did someone in your family take photos growing up? My mom took a lot of photos growing up, just documenting us going on trips and stuff. We went on a lot of hikes. Fresno is pretty close to uh, Yosemite, so we would go to Yosemite a lot. My parents met up there, and uh, my mom would uh, take a lot of pictures of us just growing up and whatnot she like assembled all these uh scrapbooks it wasn't any it was always just like a point and shoot camera you know that she had there wasn't really anything with with major settings um but yeah she was always taking film photos developing film and and she was a a, a late adopter <laughs> into the digital camera zone not because she's a hipster <laughs> i think just because she had her way of doing things but yeah i mean Every couple of weeks, we'd go drop off a uh, like a roll of film at the one-hour photo while we were doing errands, and there'd be new photos of us playing in the backyard or going on a hike or hanging out some church event or something that she was taking photos of. And she, she took a lot of photos. Yeah, uh, it was cool. So, is photography a profession or a hobby for you? Uh, yeah, creativity and photography and videography and everything is is very much my profession. Yeah, I do a lot of writing and I'm a copywriter, um, but also a producer. So a lot of my income comes from from producing commercial campaigns and videos and stuff. Kind of got my start in that working with Jeremiah Davis, um, who's a director uh, who lives around here in Venice. I didn't really aim to get into production, but started working with Jeremiah and helping him with a couple things. And then uh, from there... We just started working on bigger and bigger projects as, as his directorial roles got bigger and bigger and I was producing those. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And I like that a lot. It's, it's, it's really fun and rewarding work. It's challenging and pretty stressful work, but to be on set for a few days at a time and to overcome a ton of challenges and to find workarounds and pull a team together, you know, and to solve last minute problems and then finally when you see the final edit come together it's like oh it was all worth it <laughs> you know it's so fun so yeah i mean very much my profession re revolves around production photos and videos and and all that which is great I, I like it a lot i'm really grateful that we live in the age that we live in that like so many more people can do this now there's so many more screens there's so much more content being consumed. Now there's so many more jobs in this zone, you know? I don't know if I would be the kind of guy to like take tackle the traditional film industry, you know, <laughs> if we didn't all have phones in our pockets and, <laughs> and we were still shooting on film, you know, I don't know if I would be that kind of guy to really get in and go do that. But I think because things are digital now, it's way more accessible to get into it. It's a cool, cool thing to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
So what role does photography play in your life? And you, you know, we can take it either way. Um, but the examples are passion, therapy, expression, creative outlet, perception, storytelling, and memories. Mm. So I guess it could go either direction. with whatever Yeah, you I'll take it sort of the, the writing direction for this one. Sorry, apologies to any viewer or listener, not viewer, any listener who's <laughs> getting confused, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> been no. switching between uh, photography and visuals and, and writing as well. Um, but yeah, writing, writing, I mean, for me, other than the, the copywriting projects that I do, which is like marketing type stuff, websites and, um, email blasts and, and, you know, other marketing collateral writing for me is mostly a hobby. I'm trying to turn it into like a, you know, uh, more of a, of a profession, you know, I want to write books more now. Um, but my blog, you know, I publish on it daily. It's, it is still sort of in, in the hobby stage and I'm doing it because I love doing it. I'm doing it because it's a great way for me to challenge my mind. You know, that's why I love doing the daily blog is because no matter what happened that day, it wasn't a zero day, <laughs> you know, no day. I haven't wasted a day in its entirety in over in almost 400 days, you know, and I wouldn't be able to say that, you know, if, when I wasn't writing every day and other than writing, there definitely have been completely, you know, there definitely have been all but wasted days, <laughs> you know, and the all but is the one blog post that I made myself, you know, put up. And even recently, like there were a couple of days where I, I wasn't feeling like super great or I was feeling kind of sick or just feeling way out of it it was like kind of just like a special place for me to go to that place of like, okay, I got to publish something today and I don't have any good ideas right now. So I better go read something now to try to find a good idea. And at the very least, I'm just going to curate somebody else's good idea. <laughs> you know, like even if I can't really add like a whole other perspective or another point, like I'm going to, pull a quote from somebody else and share it with my readers and add my two cents on there, you know, and, and call that. But even just having that practice of, of the daily blog, that hobby, like it turned it from what would have otherwise been a quote unquote zero day, a day in which I didn't necessarily make any progress on anything, um, into, yeah, at least there's one, there's one thing I did. You know, so it's a great hobby to have. And I hope one day, you know, like I described earlier for it to become more and more of my profession as, as time goes on. But for now, you know, it really is. It's, it's like a, it's a good, it's a good hobby that it's kind of like a kid, you know, <laughs> I feel like if you have a kid, it's like, you can't just like totally go off the grid, <laughs> you know, I mean, you could hypothetically people do, that's a horrible thing, but, uh, you know, it's like, it demands some level of engagement from you. <laughs> you have to be productive to some degree, at least get the cereal off the shelf, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. How has photography changed for you since COVID? How has writing changed for you since COVID? Yeah, well, we'll talk. We'll take the the we'll take it the uh, the photography content creation way. Uh, we were in like a crazy boom bubble, I think, from like 2015 until the end of 2019, in which like we were just working our asses off, <laughs> like on the craziest projects that like were falling in our laps, you know. 
and it would sometimes I would stop and be like, how is this? How is this happening? What what are we doing? Like, what brand is paying us how much to do to make what? <laughs> For you know what I mean? Like it was just like so. It was like this big boom in this big bubble, and there was like this like gold rush almost to like just get content out. And that was a great place for me to be. And like, I, I, I say all those things like, you know, connected to my work that I had done with Jeremiah, like he was building his audience on Instagram and like all those opportunities were coming through him. And then I was jumping on board to produce those things. But it was just like a really exciting time to be a creator. It was a really exciting time to create video content for people because so many brands were just like dumping a lot of marketing dollars into it. And then COVID hit the biggest blow that it took was that people had to at least pause physical production for a little while, you know, um, while everyone was quarantining and there were a lot of mandates to not shoot for, for, you know, a majority of 2020. So that just like slow, like basically put, put all projects to a, to a grinding halt, you know, and the, the, a lot of businesses obviously didn't make it, which is very sad. And then the businesses that did make it had to figure out alternative solutions, you know? And so I think in the course of them having to figure out alternative solutions, some of them realized maybe we don't need to spend that much on video anymore, <laughs> you know? And then some of those alternative solutions for a lot of businesses were, was shipping direct to consumers because everyone was at home. And I'm probably just preaching to the choir. Like people probably already understand this already, but the businesses that really made it, they were the ones who were, who were putting out content that was very focused on uh, direct sales content, Facebook ads, content, Instagram ads, content, that kind of stuff that was like, Hey, we have this product, we have this service, we can ship it direct to you. You know, things are crazy right now, but <laughs> you can have a candle that smells like home, you know, or you can have a, a blanket that'll help reduce your stress or you can have X, Y, or Z, you know? So then at the end of 2020, after things kind of, you know, were on pause for a while, those were a lot of the projects that we started getting were like these Facebook ad type, type projects. And those were a lot of projects that I started jumping on because they were like the, the direct response ads, the ads that really pushed sales for brands. And the brands that did well and survived, the, those were the brands that pivoted into that kind of content. So uh, that's how COVID changed everything for me was just kind of creating that kind of content. And I don't mean to say like it changed everything. Like there definitely is like a lot of like just pure brand work that I'm doing again now uh, that things are opening back up and brands are putting more marketing dollars back into just like brand building type stuff. But I learned a new skill set of like, copywriting to make a sale on a Facebook ad now, <laughs> you know, cause that's what the brands needed at that point. And, uh, so that's, that's exciting stuff to like, to learn, you know, and putting together packages for brands that like I was, would be confident would bring an ROI as opposed to putting together content packages for brands that I would be confident, uh, made their brand look cooler. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just, there's just a difference. So what are some personal projects you're working on right now? Working on, okay, so I'm working, I mentioned the book a little bit before. So currently in the outline slash, slash research stage of that, I originally the book was going to center around this idea, or the book is going to center around this idea of a creative sprint, which is a strategy that I've found to help creators overcome the psychological blocks of building a habit around their creativity. 
Uh, I recently found another book called Creative Sprint, so I don't think it's actually going to be called that, but that's sort of what the main concept is around, right? Is committing to a creative discipline for a short period of time and then purposefully stopping. And then during that short period of time while you're committing to that creative discipline, putting it over and above in your priority anything else that you have going on, like non-negotiable, no matter what, this thing has to get done. You know, that's kind of the idea behind the creative sprint. And maybe you commit to it for a week or maybe you commit to it for 30 days or whatever. That's how I got into writing. I, I said I was going to post a blog every day for 30 days. After 30 days, I stopped. A, because I was exhausted. <laughs> B, because I wasn't sure like if I loved it, you know. And uh, and then after a while, I, I realized like all the benefits that it gave me. And I didn't give myself like a chance to quit. Usually what happens is like people say, okay, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to be a photographer, you know, or I'm going to be a videographer. I'm going to be a writer indefinitely from now on, no matter what. And then they write or take photos or make videos for five days or six days or seven days or 10 days or whatever. And then inevitably life gets busy, things get in the way. And then you start to realize to yourself, wow, this is really difficult. I have to make a lot of sacrifices for this. Did I just commit to a difficult thing that I have to make a, a lot of sacrifices for indefinitely? And because you did did the, because you did commit f without an end date, it really feels that way. And so like the only logical conclusion, the only logical thing to do from there is to quit. <laughs> because you, you your brain isn't going to let you commit to something difficult indefinitely that you see no return from. That's ludicrous, right? It's stupid. So the magic of the creative sprint is that the end date is like the light at the end of the tunnel, you know? It's like, even though it's difficult right now, and even if this is crazy, and even though this is hard and I have to make sacrifices and I don't see any return from this right now, I know that this is going to end in a week. I know it's going to end in 10 days or something. So I'm going to keep going. So then you keep going. And inevitably, like anything that's worth doing, once you get over the difficult part, you realize, oh, there's a lot of benefits to this, <laughs> you know, this is really great. And so committing to that creative sprint for a short period of time with a definite end date, it really opens up your mental state to like overcome those difficulties, you know? And then once you get to the end of that and you take a little bit of a break, you realize, wow, there were a lot of benefits to doing that. I want to do that again. And, and the, then the most important thing is like, it really does give you a window into the life of what it would be like to be a blank, to be whatever creative type person you want to be. You know, you always wondered what it would be like to be a writer, or you always wondered what it would be like to be a painter, write every day or paint every day, and you'll know a lot exactly what it's like to be a writer or to be a painter, you know? Like that's exactly what it is. So it gives you like doing a creative sprint like that gives you like a window into that life, which I think is really cool. So uh, I'm working on a book around that topic right now. If money were not a factor, what would you photograph or write? Oh, money, uh, I mean, money is not a factor <laughs> right now. And I'm writing about this stuff, you know. That's true. Uh, and I mean, who's to say, you know, how things go? I could be wildly successful or I could be not successful at all. But it is encouraging to me uh, when I publish a blog, even just like a couple people reach out and they're like, hey, this is really helpful to me. That's awesome. You know, and if that's all that happens, like that's fine. You know, my uncle's a dentist and he, like I shared earlier, he shared this uh, 
productivity system with me. And uh, it's helped me a lot. And he's not, you know, publishing that or making a book about it or turning it into a career or whatever. But like he made an impact on somebody and I'm sure he, sh he shared it with, with other people as well. Uh, he's made an impact on, on me, you know, and that's cool. So, uh, yeah, money's, money's not a factor for me now. And I find a lot of joy, even just having conversations sometimes about a blog that I'll post with one person, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah, I would, I would still be doing what I'm doing. I think, you know, what is your Instagram username? ReeseHopper.co. Reese, like Reese's, R-E-S-E. -E. Hopper, as in one who hops. H-O-P-P-E-R. Uh, dot C-O. That's also my website. So consistency. ReeseHopper.co. And then how do you use your Instagram? Personal, portfolio, or platform? Uh, mostly a platform. I've figured out what works for me. It is smiling photos from the waist up in which I write a long caption <laughs> about what I've been working on. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what works for me. And sometimes I'll share the projects that I've been working on too. So I use it for that mostly. I post about once a month and then I'll hop on stories about once a week and uh, post about a new idea or something goofy that's going on. So what is one thing you love about Instagram? I have made some friends through Instagram straight up just like, Someone found a video that I made and we started DMing and then uh, started chatting and like supporting each other's work and stuff. And then uh, hung out like a few times. <laughs> nice. So it's pretty cool. It's really cool in that way. You know, the internet, generally speaking, can be a frightening place and not necessarily the best place to meet strangers. But I think within these specific platforms that have like ways of doing things, quote unquote, this is how we do things here. If you and someone else are doing things in a generally normal way, you know, like he was posting about his work, I was posting about my work, he was posting on his stories, I was posting on my stories, you know, like this person wasn't trying to hide their face or be shady, you know, whatever, and neither was I. Then over time we realized like, oh, these are just like all like very like normal <laughs> people, you know? And then he hit me up one time. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm in LA. This is my guy, Ian Deloney, by the way. Great graphic designer on Instagram. Just figured I'd give him a shout out. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's over in Arizona now working for Iconic, the big printmakers, doing a lot of their social stuff. Anyways, he hit me up. He's like, hey, I'm in LA. And I was like, sick, you need a place to crash? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time we met, like outside my door. <laughs> and he dropped his bags home. off. And we hung out like the whole weekend and it was great. So uh, that's one thing I like about Instagram. It's pretty cool. You know, you can connect with people. What is one thing you hate about Instagram? Instagram is purposefully designed by the smartest people on the planet to be addictive. <laughs> that's what I dislike about it. I've been doing a little bit of research, not anything substantial, and I can't speak with any authority on this subject whatsoever, but I'm going to speak about it anyways. I gave the disclaimer, so now I'm going to dive into it. <laughs> <laughs> what if, hypothetically, what if Instagram, and not just Instagram, but what if social media becomes our generation's cigarettes? What if we're messing around with something that is going to have major psychological psychologically detrimental effects on us decades from now, you know, what if hypothetically, and I've been doing a, a little bit of reading and research on just sort of like the dopamine mind state that goes on when we um, engage with social media and do most things in life and <clears throat> sort of like just engage with 
with that sort of content. There's so like so much like context switches. We don't really have like we haven't really had anything like social media before this other than maybe flipping through TV channels really really fast. But that even wasn't even nearly as compelling as it is to us now because it wasn't personalized to us. Now we're seeing like click 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 things that like are fascinating to us and are just like triggering dopamine in our minds, you know, again and again and again and again. So I don't like how Instagram and say what you will, you know, capitalism, it is what it is. They created something. They had no idea what its effects would be. They're trying to maximize profits. I I, I don't hold anyone at fault, but what if, you know, Instagram is, is like actually like a negative, a negative thing for us. So that's, that's kind of one thing I don't like is like, they try to make it as addictive as, as possible, as opposed to just like a, a normal photo sharing app, you know, or like, like dribble, you know, or, or behanced or, you know, or something like that, or just like how Flickr was just like very like base level, simple. The algorithm is a bit frightening to me. And I've just been somewhat discouraged by what it can do to my mind state sometimes when I've been on it for too long. I'm, I'm fascinated to see where this goes, <laughs> you know, not to be a downer or anything. No, no. But I think, I really think it's worth considering for mm. our generation, especially those of us who know what it's like, you know, before smartphones and before mm. social media. I won't show you my screen time if you don't show me yours. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> what are some of your favorite IG accounts you follow? Uh, there's one guy I follow. His name's Antonio Sundquist. He's a entrepreneur out of Minneapolis. He posts a lot of what I would maybe describe as like moderate type opinions about things that are going on. LA and most big cities obviously can be a very liberal place. And so a lot of the perspectives that we hear are, you know, from that point of view. And the same goes for sort of like the middle of America and the Midwest, et cetera except, you know, more on like a conservative point of view. And so I think it's interesting to hear things from him living in a bigger city that is in the middle of America. It seems like he really is like pulling content and uh, considering views from, from both sides. It seems like he does a lot of critical thinking with like the things that, that he posts. Um, he shares just like random news articles and clips and you know tech things and you know things that politicians and celebrities and you know other people have said but so much of the and i guess i didn't really realize before following someone like him but like so much of it does come with like this inherent bias and it seems like he's trying to like present both sides and even a third side of like everybody's crazy <laughs> you know what i mean so that's one account that i like who else are some of my favorites? Uh, Kurt Pittman. <laughs> Huge favorite of mine. I'm a big baseball fan. And uh, there's this account called Glove Work, and they just post like all the best defensive baseball plays. <laughs> oh, I you post that. I post stories. that on my story all the time. Yeah. It's like these amazing diving catches and stuff. That's one of my favorite accounts um, for sure. It's a huge one. I like people who are like, on on the grind, like on the way up. Uh, you and I both know a guy named uh, Bobby Hobart. He runs a podcast called uh, It's the Bearded Man Podcast. He's got a beard. Um, but yeah, he's just working hard to put out valuable content 
And oh, um, what, how do you spell his uh, Instagram? It's a B O B B B A A A Y Bob A. Bob A. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out Bob Bay. He lives around the corner from here, so if we yell loud enough, <laughs> he might come knocking. <laughs> he was just here at Randall's party. Birthday oh, party. nice. Mm. That's great. Yeah, he's a good dude. And he's working hard. He's just like, if anyone deserves to be successful in LA, it's him because he's just a really kind, genuine dude who's growing his audience one one follower at a time and is not taking any of them for granted. And he's just putting out good inspirational content. He's yeah. been doing it for years. So I respect him a lot for doing that. Yeah. Okay, another account I like a lot is uh, Donald Miller. Donald Miller is a writer. He runs a marketing slash business company called StoryBrand. Uh, previously, he was a writer of, I guess what you would call pseudo-Christian faith memoirs. Just sort of like parsing through. I guess they were kind of like cultural poetry, <laughs> like we were talking about earlier, uh, but with that sort of angle. But now he's uh, he runs like kind of a, a marketing company and uh, kind of talks a lot about copywriting. Talks a lot about using story in one's marketing to you know create a more effective marketing campaign that's more customer focused. His Instagram is cool because he just like posts a lot of like helpful content. It's just like him walking around his house and he's like. Hey guys, like <laughs> I got this new like wok pan and this is how I like cook random things, you know, or he's like, Hey, this is like my little like writing desk. And I like to keep these random notebooks here, you know, or, you know, just random stuff like that. He posts and, uh, I think it's cool. And, uh, <laughs> it is kind of like, like, like <laughs> the, 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 the people I would want to meet the most, you know, if you would ask me like, who's the person like you would want to meet the most. It's like these like 45 year old like business writer dudes, <laughs> which is like so lame. You know what I mean? It's like could be like professional athletes or like actors or, you know, really cool people. It's like, no, like I want to meet Daniel Pink. I want to meet Tim Ferriss, <laughs> you know, like just like really nerdy balding dudes. That's who I want to hang out with. <laughs> You know your type, at least. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what is your favorite non-Instagram social media? It used to be Twitter. I used to love Twitter. I thought it was cool. I got a little tired of it during uh, 2020, especially like during the election cycle of things. That probably also makes me sound really, really privileged and entitled. And I recognize that. And I want to keep talking. <laughs> 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 says one white man on a podcast to another <laughs> <laughs> we're very self-aware <laughs> say what you will about us yeah. <laughs> but we are self-aware <laughs> <laughs> no it just got i mean just like the polarizing views during the election cycle like people were just shouting louder and louder more ridiculous things and there was just no space for, for moderation. And I think after six months of staying inside, I was like, all right, I'm going to take a little break. So I did. Um, so yeah, I, I used to like Twitter a lot. Non Instagram, social media, YouTube is probably the one I'm, I'm in now, even though that's not, I don't know if that really classifies as a social media. I, I think strictly. Depending on how you use it. Yeah. I think it is though. It's definitely oh, okay, cool. social media. Yeah. I think YouTube is cool. I like how their algorithm has been rewarding long form videos because a case could be made that 
the longer a piece of content is, the more meaningful it is artistically. <laughs> that's not necessarily true. That's not strictly true. But I think there is something to be said about the amount of time that a, an audience spends with a piece of content increases the meaning that it has to them. You know, you look at something like Casey Neistat's vlogs, or you look at something like the sitcom Friends, or you look at something like uh, all the Marvel movies, all, all the Marvel movies that they made. No, like, real art critic, or even anyone who, like, takes art seriously, would look at a Neistat vlog, or look at a show of, you know, of, of Friends or a Marvel movie and say, like, this is really artistically compelling compelling this is a really artistically compelling piece of content nobody would really say that but somehow by the act of consistently showing up again and again and again those things became really 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 meaningful to people which is fascinating because it's like you have you know someone who <laughs> you know gets a, a deal with with A24 to make some art house movie that's supposed to be so artistically compelling and nobody cares about it you know and then friends ends and people are crying you know i cried when tony stark died in the marvel movies it's like it's crazy it's like that stuff's not even that good you know but i think that consistency and like showing up again and again is its own art form in itself. It's not just a strategy. It's not just a posting strategy, but the act of showing up day in and day out with anything becomes an art form in itself because, because it becomes really meaningful to people, you know? So I think a case could be made that uh, long form content is more meaningful to culture than short form content. That's not strictly true, but I think generally speaking, it is true. So that's why I like YouTube a lot right now is because they're rewarding those long form creators who are really like digging into topics for, for longer and creating, you know, longer pieces of content, which I think can be more meaningful to people. You know, it stands at a stark contrast. I mean, I know they're trying to con to compete with TikTok at this moment with, with kind of their shorts, but it stands at a stark contrast to, to something like TikTok, you know, where it's just all about writing a, writing a trend and you know and and hitting that with like a really short piece of content like that stuff's not moving anybody you know but youtube creators show up again and again and i think they are moving people do you post content to other social medias uh no not really what is your greatest strength as a photographer or what's your greatest strength as a writer i think my greatest strength as a writer is boiling down somewhat complex ideas into digestible pieces and that's easier for me to say because i'm not writing about like <laughs> neuro neuroscience or biology or anything like that <laughs> yeah i think uh, i think i'm pretty good with the metaphor and, and i think a metaphor is the ultimate form of communication because you need to understand something well enough to compare it to something else. You need to understand something. Uh, you need to understand art enough to make somewhat of an artistic comparison through a metaphor of like this thing is like that thing, you know. And you need to understand your audience well enough to create a metaphor for them that they will understand, you know. And I think that's like the ultimate form of communication because it requires three levels of understanding, like a really clear understanding to be able to make a comparison, 
you know, that artistic understanding and then the understanding of your audience. So I think that's kind of like a strength that I possess. And then I try to enact in my writing often and that I'm trying to cult cultivate more and more is like creating metaphors for complex things that can be easier to understand than we make them. And then what do you, what is your greatest weakness as a photographer or a writer? My greatest weakness as a photographer <laughs> is that I'm, I don't take photos. <laughs> greatest weakness as a writer. I think I've developed a bad habit through the, 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 the course of daily publishing of not really wrestling with things as long as sometimes they deserve to be wrestled with <laughs> because I have to publish every day. I'm like, okay, I have described this well enough and oh, I got to publish today, you know, so then I publish it. When in reality, like I could have made something so much more compelling if I had just sat on it for another day, you know? So that's kind of something that I'm considering, especially like I set out to publish every day this year and that's my goal for the year and I'm going to do it, you know, unless I am uh, prohibited by, you know, my own poor health or cognitive inability. I'm going to, I'm going to publish every day this year, but I think come next year, I'm going to like slow down the schedule a little bit, at least now that I've proven it to myself that I can publish every day for a year, you know, and, and, and only publish, you know, uh, three or four posts a week that I really like dig into and, and wrestle with and, and just make a little bit better. What is one piece of advice you have for your younger self as a photographer, writer, writer? Just to do it more often. I wish I had started writing more often sooner for sure. I think the most dangerous thing that we can tell ourselves as creators is that if you can't do it right, or if you can't do it perfectly, you shouldn't do it at all. <laughs> I think that's a dangerous thing for us to say to ourselves as humans, especially in relation to things that we need to incorporate into our daily lives. We say that to ourselves about fitness and about health. We say that to ourselves about cleaning up. We say that to ourselves about learning or about self-improvement. Oh, well, if, if I don't have the time or money to take this comprehensive course on photography, then I might as well not even pick up my camera at all. That's a horrible lie that's holding us back. You know, it's so much better to do two push-ups every day, <laughs> you know, than to like wait, you know, to do the full-on like workout class at Barry's or at SoulCycle or whatever, even though those are technically more efficient like you're not creating a lifestyle, you're not creating a habit of of fitness. You know, that's just one example. But I held myself back from creating a lot when I was younger because I felt like, oh, if I can't do it right or if I can't do it all the way, there's no point in doing it all. And, and, and that's a big lie, you know. Even just like taking one photo a day or posting one blog a day or whatever, like that creates a lifestyle that turns you into the person that you want to be, you know? And so that's what I wish that I knew when I was younger. And that's what I want other people to know too, is like, that's a big lie that we tell ourselves. It's, it's like this creative resistance <laughs> really is what it is. You know, you got to get out and, and do stuff every day. The next question is what advice do you have for a new photographer or what advice do you have for a new writer or both? Yeah. I mean, what I just ranted about, <laughs> really. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting. Like, it's yeah. advice for your younger self versus advice for yeah another. That's the advice that I would give any young creative. I'm in touch with a couple um, younger creators that I've met through Instagram and stuff who've reached out to me about various blogs and that kind of thing. And uh, 
that's the kind of thing that I tell them <clears throat> again and again, kind of when they get, when they get stumped, it's like, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. <laughs> Everything becomes clear a couple of years in and it's hard to make it a couple of years in, you know, but, uh, everything becomes like a lot more clear. Not every, I would just, shouldn't say everything becomes clear, but a lot of things that are difficult to you now, when you're just starting out, become a lot simpler, become no brainers, like a couple of years in. So if you, if you're the one who can stick it out and just keep going and keep doing it, you know, the world's your oyster. <laughs> this creative world is a boxing match <laughs> and if you can stay standing for long enough you know like you can you can win where do you see yourself in three years specifically with photography or writing i'd love to have a book published <clears throat> in three years maybe two let's go maybe two that'd be awesome that'd be awesome I think I have what it takes to write a book that uh, can really make a dent for a lot of people. I also think that I have a couple <laughs> lackluster books in me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like I had a couple lackluster blogs in me before I started publishing some stuff that I felt was meaningful, you know? So I'm going to take a crack at making my first book something that's really meaningful. And if it's not, then at least... I got one of those bad ones out of the way, <laughs> you know? So where do you see yourself in 10 years specifically with writing? 30 books. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be cool. 10 years from now, Your how old will seller. I be? 37? Oh, I'll just be hitting my stride, man. That's right. That's right. Aging like a fine wine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love to have more than a few books published. Maybe, uh, yeah, three or four. Um, would be great. I'd like to be speaking more. Uh, maybe that's through a podcast or something. Maybe that's like, uh, in public events, that kind of thing. I think that's meaningful stuff, you know, going to events for people and hearing someone speak that stuff's been, been helpful for me. So I'd like to do that as well. Yeah. Keep the blog going. Maybe some classes, maybe some other resources. Who knows? If you could time travel and bring back photographs with you, where and when would you go? That's a good question. I'm not a big history buff. <laughs> so I don't really know <laughs> to be honest. Man, I don't I don't know like it could be your future. Say that again. It's just time travel. It could be past or future. Or oh, the future. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. Now we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see what the what the future is like. I think it would bring so much more <laughs> context to how I'm living now. These people who love history are probably just like shooting themselves. Just like, why is he saying this? You know, people who love history say like, you know, we have every, we can learn everything we need to know from, from history. And I say, but it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not boring. I'm just kidding. It would be interesting to go to the future because especially in the digital world that we're working in now, it's like we work so hard to try to like X, Y, or Z. You know what I mean? Like who's to say in 15 years, <laughs> all the platforms that we love now <laughs> are not in the category of a MySpace. You know what I mean? So that would be interesting to know, <laughs> you know, at least uh, maybe, maybe even if, you know, you don't change course completely just to have a, a bit more peace about, 
about things in perspective. <laughs> but yeah, that'd be interesting. I'd like to go to the future and, and maybe understand like what the, what platforms are popping so I can get on early. <laughs> <laughs> early dive. What is the most exciting thing about the future of photography technology? And in this case, future of writing technology. Yeah. There's gear, AI, speed, storage, AR, VR. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about storage um, and internet. Oh, we'll take this back in the production way. Mm, okay. Production way. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the day, maybe when I'm in my 40s, in which I have some young hotshot editor come and work at the production company that I'm working at or something, and we're working on a project together. And uh, I get to tell him about the pains of hard drives. <laughs> back in my day. I'll say back in my day, you know, <laughs> we had to lug these things around and we had to spend a thousand dollars for 20 terabytes and <laughs> it would take hours to transfer and it would get corrupted. And they would say, what? what? You can't instantly download it from the cloud? <laughs> And I would say, no, you can't edit it off the cloud. You can't edit it off the cloud. <laughs> Bruh. Wow. That's, that's technology. That's exciting. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. That's really exciting to me because, uh, you know, if, if anyone older is listening to this, especially anyone older who has worked in the commercial or film space, they're probably rolling their eyes. of like, you don't know what it was really yeah. like, <laughs> you yeah. know? And that's true. I don't. Drives <laughs> with megabytes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, so much has changed and the world of production and commercial production has opened up for me because technology has made that possible. And I think as it progresses, it'll just do that more and more, you know, be interesting to see how it goes. Is there anything you'd like to tell the listeners? Kurt is the man. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> no, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Kurt. For anyone who's listened to this podcast, you already know this. You're a fan of the Venice Photo Club. This is this man's brainchild. <laughs> and I always have a lot of respect for people who uh, take something out of their brain and turn it into reality, you know, one step at a time. He started with the zines. He got everyone involved. He did the photo walks. Now he's got the clubhouse. Now he's doing the podcast. And it's dope. Thanks, and uh, anyone who's listening, you can do that too, you know? You can. So that's what I want to tell them. I also want to tell them to go read my blog. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Since you gave me the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> and you can find your blog at reesehopper.co. Reesehopper.co. It's a good time for creators, marketers, productive people. And uh, I think you'll find some value from it. Absolutely. If the listeners were to follow you, what can they expect? All the stuff I've been talking about, but more digestible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Productivity stuff, production advice, marketing tips, a lot of stuff. Copywriting tips, tips on pitching. What can people hire you right now for? You can hire me to make a commercial for you. Or you can hire me to write the copy on your website to make sales for you. Or you can hire me to write blogs for your website to uh, grow your audience. Or you can hire me to hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sugar daddy. <laughs> Sugar daddy. <laughs> if you were to collaborate with one person right now, who would it be? 
Ooh. Good question. This guy whose poetry book I plugged earlier, Cole Schaefer from Honey Copy. He's the man. He writes cool stuff. And I'd like to collaborate with him. I don't know how we would collaborate because the writing medium seems a bit solo, doesn't it? You know? Mm. I don't really, so can't really other see how that would happen. Yeah. Maybe just to hang out. I'd like to collaborate with him on a set of Instagram stories in which we're both taking pictures of the same meal <laughs> in front of us <laughs> that's what i'd like to collaborate with him on <laughs> if you were to hire someone right now what would their role be Ooh, good question i would hire somebody to help me find email addresses <laughs> from brands <laughs> there's a whole process of how to do that you know you stock them on linkedin and then you figure out the format of what their company email address is. And then you uh, figure that out. And then you email them and say, Hey, let's hang out, you know, but it just takes so much time. Oh, <laughs> so I do it sometimes, but not as often as I should. And I could hire somebody to come on it and, and uh, just help me do that all day. It's not compelling work. The dirty and work. that's my sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> and <laughs> but if you want to get paid, you do money. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell us a tall tale about an imaginary dream job. Could be based in reality and it could be fiction. Mm, a tall tale? Tall tale. <laughs> With embellished details and all? Oh, that's <laughs> totally up to your discretion. <laughs> Say the question one more time. I want to make sure I'm, I'm oh, yeah. Tell right. us a tall tale about an imaginary dream job. And it could be based in reality. Or in fiction. In the year 2035, somehow Major League Baseball has become once again the favorite and most watched sport in America. This is tall. This is a tall tale. <laughs> <laughs> Too tall? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So, <laughs> so somehow, I forget what year I said, 2035? 2035. 2035, Major League Baseball is it, right? It's popping, right? NBA, who? NFL, where? It's all about MLB, right? And me and Derek Jeter and Mike Trout and another unsung hero player, Mike Yastrzemski on the Giants, who somehow in his later thirties became MVP, all-star, everything, which is, again, if you know anything about baseball is, is kind of a tall tale, but, uh, the, the four of us, me, Derek Jeter, <laughs> Mike Trout and Mikey Strempsey, we are, uh, <laughs> assigned to make a marketing campaign for MLB. And, uh, we write ads together about the beauty of the sport. That's the tall tale. That's beautiful. Thank you. You know, that's possible. Maybe it is. Maybe not the first part, but (laughs) (laughs) it's got the legs though. That's right. Well, Reese, thank you so much for coming out to the podcast and sharing your story, sharing some background, giving some wisdom. Kurt, it was a pleasure to be here, bro. It really was. I like, uh, I like, uh, chatting with this stuff with you. I don't feel like with, with most other hosts, I kind of would have been able to, to go the conceptual directions that you and your, 
ever so patient listening eyes were able to let me go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we had to extrapolate from the photography, but that's what the club's all about. It's photo club. That's why we didn't do the photography club because it's more of a, just creating a general writing, mixed media, video, poetry, everything. And I think that what you're doing is so important to young people trying to figure out what, like what zone, what lane can they be getting into? Um, even other people trying to figure out their career in general. I always love talking to you on a personal level, but I think we've caught you a really special time in your career and we'll definitely be talking in the future, but thanks a lot, man. That means a lot, bro. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Love you, dog. Love you, bro. Signing off. <laughs>